Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Graham, and welcome to SkewCast, the podcast that explores the who, what, why, and how of the promotional products industry. SkewCast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SkewCast is the official podcast of Common Skew. If you like what you hear, make sure to keep in touch by subscribing to the show on iTunes or at our blog, community.commonskew.com. And with that, let's get to it. Today's episode is part of our SkewCon Chicago speaker series. This is where we track down our speakers who will be joining us at SkewCon in Chicago on July 12th at the beautiful Virgin Hotel. In these discussions, we'll get a sneak peek of what they'll be talking about and why their teachings are particularly important to staying ahead in the promotional products industry. Our guest today is Bobby Lehu. Bobby is the CEO of Robin Promotions based in Oklahoma City. Bobby and I have known each other from the speaking circuit for years and I am so privileged that he will be joining us at SKUCon this summer. Bobby's keynote is on the art of creative storytelling and how that specifically applies to sales and growing one's business. Bobby brings a ton of passion to this subject, and he joins us for some time today to give us a sneak peek of what he'll be talking about at SKUCon. And so, Bobby, welcome to SKUCast. It's so great to have you here, my friend. Good to be here, man. All right. So, at SKUCon, Bobby, your keynote presentation is titled, Once Upon a Time, Secrets of Creative Storytelling. Can you give listeners a little preview as to what you'll be talking about? Yeah, uh, you know, I'd love to give a preview by quoting someone. I want to quote Martin Weigel, head of planning with White and Kennedy. Here's what he said. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, whatever Plato and Descartes may have told us, whatever some marketers might tell themselves, we are at our core driven not by reason and choice, but by far more ancient, intuitive, and often irrational emotions, impulses, and instincts. If you want to move people's behaviors, you have to emotionally move them. It is commonplace to make the distinction between artistic and commercial endeavors, the poet versus the salesman, the painter versus the ad man, meaning versus entertainment, the muse versus the market, commerce versus art. But these are false distinctions for as cultural participants as meaning creators and weavers of magic, both the artist and the salesman must seek to overcome the challenge of indifference. And how do we do that? How do we overcome the challenge of indifference? And I believe strongly that the vehicle story has more power than any other tactic, mechanism, secret, than anything, particularly in our industry, to overcome that challenge of indifference. And so that's why we're going to unpack the topic of storytelling so we can learn how to tell better stories. So you, you, you say in your description here, you'll say you'll learn how to brush off that stale 30-second elevator pitch by creating customer-centric stories that cut through the noise with a compelling and memorable message. Right. So let's get to the heart of it. Why do you think we are so addicted to the boring elevator pitch? All kinds of reasons. Number one, we're unprepared. Yep. Number two, it's, it's easy. Yep. Uh, number three, we panic for a response often when we're put in a situation where we're impromptu. Those of us that are less uh, uh, verbal, you know, less skilled in the verbal communication, um, then we panic for a response. Uh, number four, we, we were trained to do it, real simply. If, mm -hmm. you're, if you're old enough, uh, you were trained to do it. But it's not just the elevator pitch. It's also features benefit selling. 
Yeah. Features benefit selling too has uh, become this stale. Oh my gosh, they're putting this the push on me. The, you know, uh, it's become a part of that outmoded response. And these are responses by training. And finally, this is where the conversation might get a little uncomfortable. Mark, maybe mystical for too mystical for some, but but we actually don't believe in the power of words to transform anymore. We are inundated by words. We're surrounded by words. There's a beautiful quote by N. Scott Mamaday, one of my heroes. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning Native American author. And he talks about what is missing in our modern storytelling. And he says at the heart of the American Indian oral tradition, this is a direct quote, is a deep and unconditional belief in the efficacy of language. Words mm. are intrinsically powerful. They are magical. And he goes on to say this. He is clear and deliberate in his mind and in his speech. He will be taken at his word. His function is essentially creative in as much as language is essentially creative. He, and this, this part I love. He creates himself and his listeners through the power of his perception, his imagination, his expression. He realizes the power and beauty of a language, and he believes in the efficacy of words. Mm -hmm. I think because we're surrounded, especially with social media and the Internet and, and words, 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 we're into this deluge. We have, we have forgotten how sacred these articles are, and that's part of the fun of the class that we'll be doing is we're going to um, unpack what that, what this was like through past centuries and why it's important as a vehicle for us to convey ideas. When you think back to the periods of humanity, and the Axial Age is a good example, uh, where you had uh, the major religions emerge, and you had Plato and um, Aristotle, and, and a lot of their this big ideas and thinking, they were carried along by story, yeah. and we were able as humans to, to process it better. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. You think about an age when people were illiterate, and I mean, of course, that doesn't yeah. exist to the same extent now as it did centuries ago, but right. stories sold back then just as much as they do now, and right. you know, our, we're hardwired as human beings in the exact same way uh, in the 21st century as yep. our forebears were centuries ago from absolutely of being able to process these stories and to be able to move from uh, person to person so all right so we're, we're 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 kind of at this high level right now so if i'm a promotional products salesperson and i and i buy into this okay i'm i'm right into this idea of getting rid of my boring sales pitch and but i've been doing this for 15 or 20 years how can I break out of this routine? Do you have like one or two little tidbits that you could share with me that I might be able to start today to try to think about how it is that I position myself as a salesperson in a more creative storytelling kind of way? Absolutely. You break out of this routine by no other way around it, a little preparation. Yeah. Um, and and with just a slight recalibration in your thinking. And the preparation part, it's funny because story has this power because we can all tell a story. I mean, you come back from the weekend and you're standing around the water cooler, you're visiting with your office mates, and somebody says, how was your weekend? And you begin, what, you begin to do what we all do. We all start, we tell a story. Yeah. Um, and because we are the protagonists in this story, because we're the central character and we know all the details from our perspective, we start speaking in our first-person narrator's voice. We say something like, well, you wouldn't believe what happened to me this weekend, and then we go on. And there, there's so many subtleties going on in that anecdote about what happened over the weekend. It, there, there's suspense. There's a linear, sequential order to it. This happened, and then this happened. There's an emotional uh, reflection 
uh, and then I felt like there was no way I was going to be able to get across this river until we, you know, there's, there's all of these subtleties going on, and we're so hardwired to process ideas this way. Um, what, what we need to do is two things. A little preparation, but also we just need to recalibrate our thinking a little bit. The preparation part um, is, is very important the more you start doing this. And it doesn't mean you have to spend hours and hours and hours to craft a story. But uh, to give you some insight into just why effective storytelling takes strong work, think of conferences like TED. Yeah. And what we don't know about TED is behind the scenes, yeah. the, the grueling, grueling and grilling process the speakers go through to deliver an effective story on stage is incredible. There are some blog posts that you can Google what it's like behind TED to actually deliver such an effective presentation. It's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. There's another great little clip. Google Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, How to Tell a Joke. There's a New York Times video about five minutes long, and he goes through this incredible process that he, of, of crafting. Yeah. And uh, for some of us, think of business storytelling like joke telling. For me, it's easier to get my arms around a storytelling when I think about a joke. In a joke, there is linear sequential order, there is suspense, you know something's coming, and we've all told jokes and they fall flat and we know, and there are many of us who say, I can't tell a joke. Yeah. We can't tell a joke because we don't really think that it requires any work to try yeah. and craft it right. Yeah. But let me, get a little, let me get a little easier than that for promotional product professionals in particular. We are used to telling stories from the product's perspective. From the, so when we talk about a customer's project, we will talk about the, hoop, the hoops we had to jump through, the uh, steps involved in the process, what the client called, what the client wanted. We don't ever recalibrate our thinking and think about it from not the vendors, not our perspective or the manufacturer's perspective, but from the customer's perspective. And I remember the first time it struck me that a promotional product story was important, Mark. I was sitting across the desk from the director of a brand new museum in our market, and this museum was celebrating a momentous moment uh, in, in our history. The, the moment was, uh, it was the land run, it was a museum built around the land run, and depending on which part, uh, how you feel about that, it might be called a land grab, but the land run, and the director said, we need, to we need something special to commemorate all the donors that donated thousands, millions of dollars for this museum, and we need it to be elegant, and we need it to be representative of what this museum is about. And what we came up with, we came up with this stake. Uh, it was a bookmark. It was a, it was a, it was a bronze bookmark. The, the shape of a stake, at the very end of it, it had a die-cast medallion on it. And I remember as I was talking to her, as she was telling me, she actually did something very few clients take the time to do, she started telling me a little bit more backstory on what led them to this museum, why they were there today, why this gift was very, very important. And I realized the old me would have sort of been happy about the order and then repackaged that product to push out to everybody else in our market. Yeah. Hey, by the way, we, we just did this bookmark for so-and-so, you need bookmarks too. Right. Um, and instead, uh, what we did was, why don't we repackage this and tell this story from the customer's perspective? What they went through to build this museum, what they went to do this, and then our part in it, we're like that. You know, our industry is kind of like that really quirky side character, that really quirky minor character that everybody loves. Uh, we play a minor role in a major part of the story. Um, and that doesn't diminish our role at all. You couldn't, in fact, I think it gives more potency to it. But the, the cool part is I started thinking about it from the customer's perspective, not from the product purveyor's perspective. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And what I love about what you just said there is this idea of preparation, right? And it it's comes down to something as simple as that. I, I know in your description of this, of the keynote is you make reference to this American life and this yeah. American lifestyle narrative. And for those people that aren't familiar with it, uh, go to iTunes, subscribe to this American life has got to be probably the best produced podcast out there. Yeah. And what's interesting uh, about that podcast, if you listen to it, some of you may say, or some people may say, oh, wow, like this is, must be so easy. It's just a couple of guys that are just speaking into this yeah. microphone and speaking to a bunch of <laughs> average people and with right. some funky music over top of the narrative. And right. what's amazing is I took a class, uh, it was something called Creative Live with uh, someone by the name of Alex Bloomberg, who is a yeah. producer yeah. uh, that worked under Ira Glass on This American Life before he went out and started I, his I own. Watched that, I watched that same clip. Yeah. Yeah. And what was amazing about it is how much time he spent. So he's not a promotional product salesperson. <laughs> let, right. let me get that straight. But he's a radio producer, and he right. spent an inordinate amount of time on the script and how he writes the script and then rewrites the script and then records it. And then when it's not quite right, he then rewrites the script and then re-records it. And then right. it's that obsessiveness and that preparedness that means that a podcast like This American Life has got millions of subscribers compared to, you know, just the regular hack guy that hasn't prepared anything at all and has maybe three right. subscribers. So I think that there's the, 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 the thing is preparation and is applying a little bit of preparation when your competition isn't preparing, I think, makes all the world a difference. So it's great advice, Bobby. Well, and uh, to that point, two things about that that, that you just chasing this rabbit here a little bit on one of the problems we have because like in our industry we have a lot of really good verbal communicators um, we think we don't need that type of preparation because yeah. we're good on our feet exactly. in fact we do if we want to deliver an effective uh, message and what most of us do like me I resort to a thousand words that could have required about a hundred if I really would have thought about it uh, <laughs> No, you not know, you, not you, not yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing about, uh, so what we'll do is KeyCon, um, there are also three secrets that in, in particular This American Life uses, and we're going to unpack that at the conference. Not only that, we're going to look at Kurt Vonnegut's story shapes, we're going to look at In Scott Mamaday's uh, secrets uh, of, of successful storytelling, origin stories. Origin stories are absolutely critical for every oh. bit. Um, it's funny because uh, you, you think that we don't, you think storytelling also just from a customer perspective, but think about storytelling from, from our colleague to colleague. We have a new employee and, and um, I wanted to go through a quick orientation about the business and we spent about an hour talking about it and I knew where I needed to start. I needed to start at the origin point of the business and yeah. I actually have the first product that was ever sold sitting on my table and I was able to pull that out and talk about the story. Uh, which I think just, you know, one of the problems that many of us have that have been in the business for a long time, you have too much information in your head. Where do you start? Where do you go? And by forcing yourself, a little preparation will also force you to sort of boil it down to its essence. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, okay, Bobby, I want you to tell me about the time when you first used storytelling effectively in your sales pitch, and what were the results? Do you get shot down, or did you land a million-dollar order? No, I, I can tell you when I started using it more frequently. I don't remember the moment. I remember the process. And what, what happened was, because we have this niche of company stores, and, you know, I'll be 
25 years in this business this summer, and when you've spent that much time around the same medium, and in our particular model, we have not only the daily challenges of a regular distributorship like dropship sailing and merchandising and all those things, but we have all the added um, challenges of physical warehousing and fulfillment, and we have e-commerce on top of it, which has grown exponentially in its complexity. Um, we have all of these mini businesses inside a business. So when I'm starting to talk with a prospect, uh, I have too much information in my head. It, it short circuits me, quite honestly. And if I'm not careful, I'm gonna, I'll lose them quickly in just a vomit of verbosity of words. You know, it, it happens so much. I remember the process. I started boiling down, and I, I used a little um, uh, bullet-pointed list of stories uh, with prospects because I would start getting into the old me that I've been trained. I would get into features benefit selling. So if I had a prospect on the phone, we were doing, say, a go-to-meeting presentation, I would get into features benefit selling as my fallback because that's what I've been trained to do. Yeah. What I started doing was listing out the client stories of projects that we've launched successfully before, and they were listed by client, ABC yeah. Corporation story or this story. And the cool part about that is I don't have to suddenly remember any technical details. Yeah. I just have to remember a couple of high points around yeah. the story. Yeah. And here's the coolest part. To me, what we have to do better as an industry is we have to learn to map what we sell to an emotion. Yeah. And once we start mapping what we sell to an emotion, we're going to get away from product-centric selling. And I'll give you an example for company stores. Why do people buy a company store? They don't buy a company store so they can procure a shirt. You can procure a shirt from Zazzle, Cafe Press, any promotional product distributor, any screen printer, any embroiderer. You launch a company store because you're trying to make branded products simple. You want to minimize the administration. You want to maximize the effectiveness to your colleagues. There's all kinds of reasons, but really you want to make branded products simple. And so when you, the closer you get to the emotion of why the buyer is interested in this, why they're into it, take my example of the, the director with the museum and the stake. To her, it wasn't a transaction. It wasn't a budgeted amount. It was much more than that. The emotion that she wanted to convey yeah. was thankfulness. Yeah. Uh, and you think about all the stuff we sell. You think of awards programs. My God, never tell anybody you're in the awards business. Yeah. You're not in the awards business. I mean, you, you celebrate momentous occasions. Yeah. And I'll give you a really simple example outside of our business. If you had a cupcake shop, I would challenge you. Are you in the cupcake business? Do you sell flour? Do you sell sugar? Do you sell? No. You know what you sell? You sell happiness in a cup. Yeah. And can you imagine if you're at some function and so you're, you're, in the, you're in the cupcake business and somebody asks you what you do and you say, I sell happiness in a cup. I can have it delivered to you Friday at 3 o'clock. Would you like some? Doesn't that change the dynamic of the conversation entirely? And by the way, Mark, I, I'm, I'm rambling. Now I'm getting off into this topic. Like Now we're, now we're off and going. Here's, here's why I started myself gravitating towards story selling because I got sick and tired of sitting at – uh, networking events where I was sitting by somebody, it might be the director of marketing at a very large company, and she turns to her person on the right and asks what they do, and they have a very interesting and intriguing conversation. And then she turns to me, and she says, and what do you do? And I try, with my thousand words, to explain what we do. Right. And I always fail. And you know what happens? It happens with most of the business, even the best in the business. They resort to not doing a good job at telling what they do, and they end up saying, well, you know, hats, mugs, and shirts, and yep. Yep. pens with logos on it. Then what happens in that buyer's mind, uh, you've, you've become a commodity, you are a commodity, she shut you off. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, and you're, and you're not particularly interested in that point. You're, like, you're the guy who sells insurance or you're the guy right. who just peddles a product and you're not necessarily bringing any particular value to the table. And probably even what's even worse is that that person that you're sitting beside, he or she is then going, all right, when's the sales pitch now going to hit me? Because that's yeah. what I usually get from a guy who sells right. pens and hats and life insurance. Yeah. So I, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and let me give you a real a real life example. I started using, and, and it's going to sound contrived, but you have to be prepared. I started using the intro, we make branded products simple. Yeah. And and that suddenly what happens with a with a lead-in like that, it's it begs more questions. What yeah. do you mean branded products simple? And then I simply tell a story from our customer's perspective. Yeah. There was you know, and I get into it, hundred bank branches and they had the, the handling materials was a mess. And we kinda go through we'll go through this skewk on the Kurt Vonnegut story shape. And I begin to tell a story of that customer's experience with us following the story shape, following the arc, ending up at this denouement, this this end of this climax of the story where the customer wins and yeah. everybody's happy. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's a it's a different dynamic going on between me and the person sitting next to me. Yeah. Well, and I also think at the end of the day, this comes back to business 101. I mean, you think about an entrepreneur launching a business, okay? And I know it's maybe a little bit different if you're a promotional products person selling a product, but bear with me for a second. So think of the entrepreneur that is starting up his or her own company. What they need to do is they need to identify a problem in the market and they need to be able to find a compelling solution to that product or sorry, to that problem, and then go and tell a story about how their product or service is able to solve this really big thorny problem the customer has. And then they go out and they create their software application or they create their new product or they create their service or whatever the case may be. And then the market either yawns and says, I hate this, or, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. How can I get more of it? And I think yeah. that if you take that entrepreneurial example and you you extrapolate out from that and you then put yourself in a promotional products salesperson's uh, pers uh, uh, position and if you're positioning your product as something that can solve a problem and you can tell a story and it can be compelling and exciting then that's what's going to get the customer excited and I think that's what you're saying at the end of the day is think about it from the customer's perspective tell a compelling story so that when the meeting is over and they're going back into their cubicle and they're having to deal with all this email and other distractions, they'll remember that exciting meeting they had with that gray-haired guy with the long flowing locks who's dashingly handsome. I was able to say, what did that guy tell me? He didn't talk to me yeah. about features and benefits. He told me about how I can yeah. look like a rock star in front of my boss or right. how this right. can save me, you know, or develop this emotional connection with my stakeholders. And so I love that. Uh, it's such great advice, Bobby. All right. Yeah, I'm trying to let that comment pass in between there. But go ahead. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. We're, we're on a roll here. And, and, and I'll say to people that have not had the luxury or the, you know, opportunity to lay their eyes on Bobby. Well, if you're at SKUCon in Chicago, it will be, it'll be quite something. Anyways, you're I got to pay for, you got to pay for all of that. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I apologize. Uh, okay. So the last question, I promised we were going to keep this short for you, Bobby. Yeah. So many, so you make this comment in your description that the most successful brands share lean forward stories, stories that compel the listener to think and to act and to do. And I totally agree with that. And 
what I'm thinking in my mind, and maybe other people are, are thinking this as well, is that when I hear the most successful brands, I hear of Apple, I hear Google, I hear IBM, I hear Coca-Cola, okay? And these are brands where they manufacture their own product. They create their own products. They uh, are, are able to manage their entire story and product design from beginning to end. And so you've got that on sort of one hand. In the promotional products business, we're in a business where many, many people can access the same supplier lines. And many of us are just simply selling other people's products. If you really boil it down to brass tacks. Yeah. Do you feel that the Coca-Colas and the Googles are at an inherent advantage when it comes to storytelling versus people in the promotional products industry? Or am I reading it wrong? They are definitely not an advantage. They've just had more experience. When you mention those brands, I hear Coca. When you say Coca-Cola, I hear soda. Yeah. When you say many, I hear car. Yeah. When you say Starbucks, I hear coffee. Yep. I mean, can it get more commoditized than coffee? Yep. And yet what they've done is they've built an experience around their product. I mean, it's coffee. We've been drinking coffee for centuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we're in, in reality, what we sell in the promotional products business, we sell a mechanism for an emotional transaction to occur. Yeah. We are in the emotional marketing business. We're not in the promotional marketing business. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is excellent news for our storytelling because behind every story sold is a story waiting to be told. And in that secret I mentioned earlier, mapping what you sell to emotion, when you map what you sell to an emotion, I mean, literally sit down and think, what emotion does this trigger, what I'm selling? You'll find a pathway for story and you'll discover the story arc. Yeah. Think about the uh, effect of uh, looking across a football or a soccer stadium full of rabid fans. They're all wearing the same colors. Yep. That rabid, vociferous, rowdy energy comes from a stadium full of tribal believers. Yep. What, what did the t-shirt salesman provide? Did they provide a Hanes BVT or a Gildan G200 or did they provide a vehicle for an emotional transaction to occur? The latter, I, I, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I look at that stadium full of fans, and I don't think 6.1 ounce, 100% cotton. I think that's a hell of a tribe. Words like passion, solidarity, raving fans. I mean, you, I, that's what I mean by recalibrating, recalibrating our thinking. And I love Starbucks as an example because it, it can get more commoditized than coffee. Yeah. And yet they've built this entire brand experience around it. Now, you might challenge and push back and say, well, basically we sell the same products that other distributors do. The distinction is we sell different clients, and it yeah. always bugs me when people try to put us in the same package together. Yeah. Mark, your DNA at Rice Leaf is completely different than the DNA at Robin or yep. the DNA at Branfield or the yep. DNA, and it's largely because we all serve different types of clientele. Yep. And this gets back to you and I always, always beating up this value proposition problem in our industry. It gets back to that. But, you know, I would push back hard, you know, that we are, the, we are uh, taking an easy way out. You remember Seth basically said that uh, an industry gets commoditized because the industry wants it that way. Yeah. And he, he also, I thought, I thought he had a great comment in the interview and I did with him. He said, we don't need more things. We need more meaning. Um, and, and I think from that it, when, he, when he said that in the context of our industry, he was not saying we don't need more mugs. He was saying we need to work harder at demonstrating the purpose and the emotion behind. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and, and to use your sports analogy, my kids, my two eldest boys, Maddie and James, have literally worn their Jose Bautista and Josh Donaldson of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, it must be a Haynes beefy tee, which I know I could probably buy printed for two seventy eight. Right. which I bought for 40 bucks each <laughs> happily because right. the cost per wear <laughs> right. is, is fractions of a penny once you think about it. And I just think about how proud and how excited these boys are to wear the, the, the logo of their favorite baseball team. And, yeah. and I know that that's a sports team. It's a licensing analogy, but there's no difference with when you look and you contrast that with a Facebook employee with a Facebook hoodie or a Google employee with a Google pen um, that's been done in a really cool way that um, has this emotional connection between yeah. the customer or between the employee and the brand. And that's what we sell. And I think the most effective promotional product salespeople are the ones that are able to sell that yeah. versus, hey, this pen's 99 cents. We could put a Facebook logo on it. What do you think? Um, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and one thought to that too, Mark. You know, uh, I had an ad agency friend correct me for several years. I got into, and this is a very personal story, but I got into um, uh, a, a real. Um, how do you say? I, I I just felt bad about what what the industry I was in. I felt bad about what we were selling, and I went through this season where I almost was embarrassed a little bit. You know, and I noticed this. I noticed this can happen a lot with folks in the business, particularly if they've been in business a long time. They're proud of the fact they've made a lot of money, but they're not really proud of the medium itself. And I remember I got really corrected. I had an ad agency friend tell tell me I was using language like. Uh, well, you know, I'm a pen salesman, or I'm a pencil salesman, or I'm a tchotchke. I would never use the word tchotchke, but I thought I was being a little clever, or I was being offhanded. And it was, it was actually, he had pinpoint a really important problem. And I, I thought of this later. I thought, you know, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves have the power to come true. Hmm. That's what the Native American culture definitely believed. They mean yeah. literally the stories yeah. that we tell. And so, therefore, you can, you can draw a, a corollary to the stories we tell about our businesses have the power to become true. Yeah. If you want to just be the lowest pen provider, maybe that's what you are, then that's the thing, then go for it. But if you're not, and if you're providing other kinds of, and this is sort of, I get into that personal story when people start pushing back on me in the industry. Come on, Bobby, you're not going to take a $20,000 pen order, right? No, I will. But you have to understand, the stories we tell ourselves have the power to come true, and we have to start marketing ourselves with better stories. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, I can't wait for July, my friend. This is going to yeah. be extraordinary. Good. So, but uh, but well, thank you so much. I mean, the idea behind this was to get a a quick little visit uh, with you, Bobby, to to get some uh, to get some tidbits, and uh, it. it this was absolutely phenomenal. And for those that are interested to learn a little bit more about uh, what we're doing at SKUCon, it's uh, commonskew.com slash SKUCon. It'll be July 12th, limited seating available, and uh, you'll be able to come and hear amazing speakers just like Bobby Lee here. So this is great. And Bobby, thank you so much for your time and for joining us in Chicago. It's going to be great. It'll be fun. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.